This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. I have been covering the sport for nearly 20 years. I have a resume to back it. I come from a hockey family. I should feel comfortable when I walk into a rink. And this season, there were many times I did not. I did not feel welcomed in press boxes. I overheard conversations about from my colleagues and counterparts that I shouldn't be there. I heard it all. I was attacked by fellow people in my industry. And if you don't like language, you might want to earmuff up right now. Because as I told you, it wasn't just not feeling welcome necessarily in my hockey world, which had always been home to me. You saw some of the social media posts. This playoffs, I worked really hard this season to earn the trust of ESPN to call a playoff game. That was my full-time goal all season. Do enough, Leah, to get there. And they gave me game five of two series. Both these series were tied at two apiece. It was my first time on ESPN because I'd been on ESPN Plus all year developing where I should be. But I had these big playoff games. And I was so proud of myself. And again, it's another first, but who even cares about that? I had done it. I had called playoff hockey when it matters most. And what was waiting for me in my inbox, even though all my notifications on social media, I turned them off after my second game because it was affecting me mentally. People still find a way to find you. And in that inbox, there was a man. I can only assume it was a man from what his name said. And it said, you live in Winnipeg. It wouldn't be very hard to track you down. And when I do, I will come in and I will stick my hard cock in your mouth so that I don't have to hear you anymore. And when I'm done with you, I will then put a gun in your mouth and blow out your brains so no one has to hear you call a hockey game again. That's not one time. I have a full folder. Every time I step into a booth, I face that shit. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. The audio clip you just heard was from Leah Hextall, who is a play-by-play broadcaster for ESPN's NHL coverage. She spoke during the summer at an annual conference, TCS Live, held by the Coaches Site, which is a leading website and business for coach education and teaching resources when it comes to the world of hockey. And we thank them for allowing us to use that audio. Leah Hextall told her story, her story and journey 
of what it has been for her to be not one of the boys, to rise up from Manitoba and to become one of ESPN's NHL broadcasters and what that has entailed. Leah Hextall was the first woman to call play-by-play nationally on a televised NHL game when she was part of Sportsnet's first all-female broadcast team in March of 2020. And in this podcast, she talks about that presentation she made for the annual conference held by the coach's site, how when people asked her what her first full season calling games nationally was like, she tells them that she survived, getting death threats, social media venom, being told repeatedly that she was hired only for her gender, leaving the business uh, in her mid-30s to work for the premier of Manitoba, growing up in a famous hockey family, and now her goals at ESPN, how she'd like and what she'd like to improve on in her second year that comes up in a couple of months, and why she, uh, why she loves this job as much as she does. So a real honest conversation with Leah Hextall, play-by-play broadcaster for ESPN's NHL coverage, coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, uh, Leah Hextall is a play-by-play broadcaster for ESPN's NHL coverage. She joined ESPN in 2021. Uh, You should know that uh, Manitoba native, I believe, and we are talking to her today in Winnipeg. First guest, actually, we've ever had on this podcast uh, who is talking to us from Winnipeg. There's a lot of firsts when it comes to Leah Hextall in broadcasting. First woman to call play-by-play for a nationally televised NHL game when she was part of Sportsnet's first all-female broadcast team in March of 2020. First woman to call an NCAA men's ice hockey championship game for ESPN in 2019. She's been grinding in this business for a long time, uh, including working for CTV Winnipeg from 2005 to 2012. And she was at Nesson, Boston's regional sports network from 2012 to 2014. And now again, you can see her on ESPN, both uh, doing play-by-play and bench reporting, and uh, pleased to be joined by Leah Hextall. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. I've been a uh, you know, long-time listener, first time on, so it's exciting. What is the weather today in Winnipeg? Please give it to us in Celsius, not, not in Fahrenheit, Leah. So it is only about 22 degrees Celsius today. I couldn't do Fahrenheit if I tried because I'm no mathematician. And it's raining today, which is really weird because usually our summers, we have gorgeous summers and the rest of the week is supposed to be really, really warm as we close out August, sadly. But uh, it's a dreary day here, which we don't often have in our summer times. All right. Being that uh, I, I have to live mentally in two countries, I can tell you that that is around 72, 73 degrees. That a boy. Fahrenheit. There you go. All right. So in here, there's there's certainly a number of reasons to have you on, Leah, uh, and we'll get to your ESPN journey for sure. But the um, sort of the immediate thing that I, I wanted to talk about was in June, you made a presentation at TSC Live, which for people who don't know, that's an that's an in-person coaches conference uh, from the coaches site. That's the organization that puts that on. And if I'm right about this, the event is held annually in Michigan, Leah, generally, like Ann Arbor? Yes, this was their first year in Michigan, but it is an annual event. Okay, so first year in Michigan, and in the audience is a cross-section of professional coaches, uh, experts in human performance, 
Um, it's uh, it's a gathering of a lot of people in hockey and some rather influential people as well. This year's conference, uh, Mike Babcock, former obviously very famous NHL coach, was coaching college this year, um, was there. So this is a um, this is an event that that attracts a lot of people in the hockey world to I guess want expertise or further their expertise when it comes to coaching. Your presentation at this event, Leah, was titled "Not One of the Boys." Uh, and we're going to get to that story. But first off, why did you decide to tell your story there? Well, Richard, it all stemmed from the fact that I have a previous relationship with Aaron from the coach's site. And I had been a moderator for them before for an all-female panel in a virtual conference that they did last year. And I was really impressed with how they were trying to move the needle forward by bringing women into the day-to-day hockey conversation throughout their website. And because of that, I thought it was a safe and strong place to take a message that I didn't even really know existed until I finished my season and received a question from my mother when I finished the playoffs. And she said, you're done, kiddo. You finished your first year. How was it? And very to my surprise, actually, the words that came out of my mouth were, I survived. I survived it, mom. And it kind of shocked me when I said that, because I thought, is that really how I looked at my year? And it truly was. I got through it. And it doesn't mean that I didn't love it, but it was tough. And I started to think about certain things. And what I really noticed was that There were some things dealing with not only coaches, but executives and just people within the hockey world that I thought I didn't realize where we were as a culture. And it really became apparent to me that we have some work to do. And I thought that that was a great place to start because at the coaches site, this conference goes from grassroots coaches all the way, as you mentioned, to the highest of the NHL level. And I thought this is a place where I could share this message to create conversation not to hammer on the game, not with ill intent, because I don't believe there is ill intent, but we need to understand that there's some things going on within our game that I didn't even know were going on as a female in the sport. When you say that you, um, when people ask you how it was after your first full season in the role and that you said this, I tell them I survived. So what does that mean to you? What does it mean you survived? Well, in the presentation, I put up some lovely social media posts, which were just a very small sample. And, you know, I've been in this business for nearly 20 years, and I have received the criticism that everybody in our industry, Richard, you felt it, you know, we all know we get social media bashing, and that's okay. But this went a step forward. You know, it was really sexist. It was really misogynistic. I had my physical and sexual safety threatened, not just once, but you know, as I said, a full folder, and I actually vocalized one of the messages I received through email. And to me, you add that on to the fact that then I didn't feel welcomed in some press boxes, and I didn't feel welcomed in some rinks and some conversations. And I realized that I was once again, the lone woman and the outsider looking in, and I wasn't one of the boys. And I was never going to be, no matter how hard I tried. I just, you know, this year was just so mentally challenging on top of the fact that I was still new to a skill that is the hardest thing we do in broadcast in a sport that makes it even harder because of the speed. And it just 
to me, the fact that I survived that, I survived the mental attacks, I survived the outside attacks from social media, I survived the internal attacks from other people within the hockey world, I survived attacks from my colleagues, some of my colleagues, not at ESPN, but just different things that I heard. I thought, hey, you know, you got through that. And that took a bit. So I survived it. There's one I want to ask you about, because it's the one that you uh, highlight in your presentation, where somebody... Um, says that they, they know where you live, in this case, Winnipeg. Uh, wouldn't be hard to track you down. They then offer a pretty vulgar uh, sexual comment. And then it reads, and when I am done with you, I will then put a gun in your mouth and blow your brains out so no one has to hear you call a hockey game again. And the thing that uh, really um, stayed with me when I watched your presentation is you indicated that that wasn't like the only like death threat, or at least at that sort of level of threat, that you received, you know, obviously, um, I shouldn't say obviously, but, you know, there are a lot of people obviously who do this and, um, they do it because there's anonymity and they do it because they're never going to be caught. And thankfully, you know, I imagine most of the death threats, uh, are just that as horrific as it is. That said, I've never dealt with that. I've never had to deal with that emotionally or mentally and what that does to me. So if I can ask, and I understand it's a really personal question, but like when things like that come in, what do you do? Do you document them and make sure that your employer knows? Do you let people know? Like how does one, when it gets past like just general broadcast criticism into this like criminality kind of place, like what does one do? Well, Richard, that's a great question because I wasn't actually quite sure what to do because I think, and I can only speak from my you know, how I feel as a female, I have been really taught that in this industry, you know, keep your head down, do the work and don't draw attention to yourself because, you know, this is just something you have to deal with. You have to deal with it. You're putting yourself out there in the public spotlight. And there is a part of that. This is what I've chosen to do as an adult. But I've also never wanted to draw attention to myself in that way because I always have thought I don't want to give that person the satisfaction of retweeting that or sharing this on my social media platform because I also don't want people to think I'm complaining. And I know I'm not complaining, you know, but that's how it looks like. Oh, she's trying to draw attention to herself and make us feel sorry for her. If she can't do it, then she should just get out of the game. And that's how I have you know, somewhat been taught to think throughout my career. And because of that, I kept a lot of this silent. Um, you know, I, I did share when that one came in, um, it was during I had just called a playoff game. And I was very excited about that because that was my goal all year was to do enough to get ESPN to trust me to call a Stanley Cup playoff game when it matters. And we were, we had just finished a game in Edmonton and Dominic Moore and myself were driving to Calgary to call the game that night for a Calgary and Dallas game five. And um, it was my first time on the big platform, the big ESPN platform. And, um, you know, that came in through my website. And I, I kind of said to Dom, I got something last night that just hit me. And he said, don't read it, Leah, don't, don't pay attention to it. And he's right to say that. And that's what so many of my male colleagues in support of me would say. And, and so I just kind of shuffled it aside. But I realize now, uh, my brother-in-law is a police officer, and I have many cop friends, and um, some of them have seen my presentation, and even the other social media posts I've had that include things about, you know, my 
sexual safety. And they have said, this really, it shouldn't even be up to you. It should directly come to us. And then we do what we need to do with it, what abides by the law. And it's got me to thinking, Richard, because, you know, we have all these people with the anonymity, as you said. And I started to think to myself, but this, this is a step further. And, and this season there, I think I will have a different mentality about it. And if I received something of that nature again, because it was so, it was just, it's still hard for me to even, it's ingrained in my brain. I, I think I, I would think more about passing that along when somebody references, um, you know, a threat or knowing where I live or things like that, because at the end of the day, as my brother-in-law, who's a cop says, you don't know that they don't mean this. And if you get enough of them, maybe it's time to start up making people be held accountable for what they think is okay and how they treat people. Yeah. I, 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 I'm glad that you have the law enforcement in your family and uh, yeah, it would be, I, I would love to see actually the, the, the perpetrator of those kind of comments actually be caught. Um, how many times, Leah, were you told or have you been told on social media that you are hired because of your gender or that you're ruining hockey? Because um, even a very cursory uh, sort of search on this, um, again, this would be my interpretation of it, is that women broadcasters get this so much more than men. There's one, um, there's there's criticism and then there's sort of gender-based uh, criticism or criticism that really floats around when it comes to a, uh, to being a woman in, in a in a male-dominated profession as you are. So I wonder just if you can sort of give my audience just at least a little sort of idea about how often this comes. And then I imagine at a certain point, you even have to protect yourself. You just can't look at these mentions at a certain point because it doesn't do anything for you professionally. No, it doesn't, Richard. And, you know, I had Gordon Miller from TSN tell me before the season, turn your mentions off. And I didn't listen to him. By game two, they were off because it was affecting me mentally. I honestly, I, I could not handle it because of the negativity. Um, to answer your question, how many times do I get told I've been hired for this position because of my gender? I did, what, almost 30 NHL games this year. So every game, every single game. There is not a moment that I'm not told that or that I've been hired because I'm a hex doll or, you know, something along that lines. It's never that I've been hired because of my resume, my background, the amount of work I've put into this. And many people don't know my background. But I will say this, Richard, I think we have to take some ownership of that in, and I will speak from the hockey world because I am in the hockey world and I'm a hockey broadcaster and have been for years. I think we have to take some ownership of that, that our audience feels that as soon as a woman is hired in a visible, credible, important, influential position where their voice is heard or they are seen more publicly in our game, that our audiences and, and quite a bit of our audience, you know, not that social media is everything, but quite a bit of our audience and even those within the game feel that they were hired because of their gender. It's the immediate response. They were hired because of their gender to check a box because we don't have enough women in the game. We don't have enough women in the game. So why is that? We have cultivated our audience to think that and then immediately get upset about it because now they have a bias towards this woman and feel that she didn't get hired because of her capability. She got hired because of her gender because I don't see women doing this anywhere else in the game. And therefore, she is not given the grace that a man who didn't have NHL experience, and I can only speak from my position as a play-by-play, -play, 
a man could come in and he's not going to be said he got hired because he's a man, because men have been represented in hockey since the beginning, 100 plus years ago. So they're not going to face that. They're also going to have more grace to make mistakes. I get a wrong name and I did it in Detroit. I remember I called the rookie sensation Lucas Raymond, Mason Raymond, because I covered Mason Raymond for years. And three months later, when I went back, did a Detroit game, even before I called the game, I was getting hammered on social media. Oh, Hextall's calling the game tonight. I wonder if it's going to be Mason Raymond again. They're never going to let that go. And I made that mistake once. Man has more liberties to develop, to grow before they're bashed on. I have one minute of you hearing my new voice, of hearing me call a game because it's different, it's changed, and I'm female and I got that job because of my gender. But in hockey, we have to take some ownership of that because we haven't hired with intent and opened the door to have more representation, whether it is women or people of color. And that's something in my presentation that I spoke to. So while I hear that all the time, I also believe that we have to take some ownership because we've programmed our audience to feel that way. Uh, that's well said, and I think it's absolutely accurate. And let me sort of buttress that by this point in question. Uh, Emily Kaplan was on this podcast not too long ago. I don't know if uh, – I know you know her. I don't know sure if you happen to listen to that. Okay. So one of the things where she received over-the-top criticism was from her questions that she asked on the bench. And so – she got a lot of social media feedback, like, these are dumb questions. Why are you there? You don't know hockey. So this is where I'll editorialize for a bit. Like, I worked with Emily Kaplan at Sports Illustrated and specifically the Monday Morning Quarterback. Um, she's a phenomenal reporter. She has <laughs> a lot of experience in sports journalism. She obviously knows how to ask questions. It's just, it, 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 to me, once you start to start to sort of say that you, you show your ass there, not, not anything else. What she said on this podcast, which was interesting, was that she specifically asked questions a certain way, very short, because she wanted to get the people who, were, um, who she was interviewing to answer uh, questions more fully. And I think if you watched her work, that's what happened, particularly in a very high stress, as you know, high profile spot where people are talking between periods or in periods, et cetera. And so... When I saw your presentation, one of the things, Leah, that, uh, that kicked off was that you received the exact same criticism that Emily did. She shouldn't be there. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She doesn't know hockey. She doesn't know this. Again, if you're willing to sort of be fair about it, anyone who's seen your resume and your grind, like to say you don't know hockey is just dumb. You, just, you come from a massive hockey family. Your grandfather scored game-winning goal of the Stanley Cup. You have all you have multiple you have decades now of experience in hockey, so it's just silly. But and I'll bring this back to that. Um, I don't know if Emily for you af acted as a support system, and I don't know if this helps. But literally the same exact kind of criticism she hit. You know what I'm saying? You're two different people, two different uh, places in your career. One of you's American, one of you's Canadian. Yet the criticism is the same. What do you both have in common? You both have gender in common. We do. And, you know, Emily and I would check in with each other through the season. And obviously, you know, Emmy's 
Anne's a lot younger than me. And I, I just look at her and I just think she can, you know, rule the world, really. Uh, I have so much respect for her and, and just how much she developed this season and what was a new role for her on television. You know, learning that TV grind and how to ask a question. It's not as easy as people think it is. Trust me, I've been doing it a long time and I still put so much thought into how am I going to get the answer here, especially when you're asking Daryl Sutter questions on the Calgary Flames bench. And to this day, I got him to laugh on the bench. So I feel like that's the biggest, you know, gold star of my career. Um, but you know, it is, that's the one thing we share because we are completely different people. We have different resumes, but we both work in the sport of hockey and we both have the same gender. And, you know, I can't explain why that is, but I do believe it's, it's simply because we have an element of society that in our sports world still believes that when a woman is put into a job, there's a different reason than just her ability. One of the things um, when I was going to interview today, I was thinking about was there was a part, uh, there was a time in your career uh, in 2016, you were part of a round of cuts at Sportsnet um, where you had been working as a host on Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, the, um, the job market at that time, and for people who don't know, like the job market in sports broadcasting in Canada is always tight, but it was really tight then. And you made a decision to um, head back home and you started working for the Manitoba Premier. Like you literally had a sort of a totally different like career and you worked in politics. Um, so I want to ask you two questions here. One, at one point, did you think that was it and that was going to be your new path? And then the second thing is I wonder if when you receive comments like this and you start to feel down, you start to feel X, I just wonder if there's a part of you that like – calls upon your own experience to sort of uh, remind yourself that you came back sort of from beyond the wall. Do you know what I mean? You're out of the business, but you, you grinded back into it and then you've landed at the, you landed at the, the biggest network uh, in the United States. So I'll, I'll ask it. So it makes it easier for twofold. So one at that time in 2016, um, you're working for the premier of Manitoba. Did you think you were out of sports and, you gave it a shot, but for you, politics or whatever was the next thing. It's such a good question, Richard, because it was it was really hard because I've been a career first woman. My career has always driven me and it's really fueled me of who I am. And for the last at that time, for the last 15 years in my entire professional career, I've been Leah Hexel, the sports broadcaster. And suddenly that identity was gone. And I was working in politics and, you know, you're not on the television anymore. And there is a big hitch, your ego. I can fully admit that because you're used to being somebody, quote unquote, right? So I, I have to say, I never thought I was out of it. And this is why, because I made a decision to pivot. I got the job in politics by using my network and it was the best thing I ever did because it showed me that I had transferable skills. I really enjoyed it. I loved it. I might go back to it one day. I really might. 
Just for the for the so people know, what did you do for the premiere? What was your job? So I had when I first went in there, I was going in there to really just kind of help his social media presence and his videos and create all those different things that you need nowadays because they weren't really doing that at the time within the government. Um, but it quickly became more. I handled all of his events. I handled a lot of you know being pulled into certain circumstances because of my media background and understanding what the media was going to do here and how they'd spin it, yada yada, and. And uh, then we ran and I got to be right in the thick of things. And I was the top three with his little team. And I, I, I gained so much experience in politics and in doing it. And I loved it. And uh, on top of that, we got to do some great things here in Manitoba and make a difference. And, and that's a fulfilling thing to do. So that's what I did. I was heavily involved in it. Loved it. Um, but at the same time, it wasn't my passion. And that's that's just the be all and end all. I'm a big believer that without true passion, greatness cannot be achieved. And so I started working for the premier. I made it very clear to them that I still needed to broadcast, that that was going to be allowed in my position. And they agreed to it. I started working locally on CJOB radio, doing Jets coverage for them. Um, just, you know, having my own segment. I was still a name here. As you mentioned, I worked in CTV Winnipeg for almost a decade. So people still knew me here in Manitoba because it's where I started my career. So I was doing that. And then at the same time, that's when I got very strategic. People always say to me, oh, play by play. It must be a dream come true. Not a dream come true. There's no fancy little Disney story here. It's not a dream come true. What it is, is it was a woman who was 37 years of age who couldn't get a job as a host or reporter, which she had predominantly done in her career and recognized the industry was changing. She was aging and that there weren't that many jobs anymore in the industry. So where can I be in a class of one play by play? I have the knowledge to do it. I have enough of a broadcast background to do it. Okay, let's try it. Oh, and guess what? I can get old doing it because nobody sees me. Okay. On top of that, who makes the most money? It helps me increase my wage. All very strategic. And I know that might not be the story that everybody wants, but that's what it was. And I went to my agent. I said, I want to do play by play. And he kind of went really quiet and went, okay, okay. <laughs> and that's how it began. And you know, I didn't think I was out of it, but I went to several places and kind of ran it by some networks. And I had some here in Canada with a big Heisman towards me, but I had others that said, you know, go, go try to get yourself there and we'll see. And one of them was Sportsnet. And, you know, my conversation with Doc Emmerich, which I've talked to people about, he was the first person I talked to about play by play. And, and he said, you can do this, go just start calling games wherever you can. Um, just out loud to yourself and tape it on your phone. Cause that's what he used to do back when he started with a recording device. And so I would work in politics. This is not a nine to five job. I would work and in my evenings, I would go and learn numbers of teams and I would go to American Hockey League games, the Manitoba Moose, and the Jets would open a press box for me and I would just be in there on my Saturday afternoons calling the game and recording myself. And that's how it started. And then it rolled on from there and, and got more opportunities. But I never thought it was it because I just knew that I wasn't going to go out that way. I wasn't going to have somebody say to me, you're laid off because of finances and now you're done. And I just thought, you know what? I also have more to give in this. Why can't I do something that no one else has done before? And uh, it was a big swing, but I worked really hard at it and uh, grinded away for four years before I got the job at ESPN. And I, it's something that I don't think people realize. I didn't just get plopped into the job. It, there's been a lot of grind while I was working a completely different career uh, to get myself to a point where I received this opportunity uh, with the biggest network in sport. 
I wonder for you if, uh, again, when you, and not that anybody wants to face negative feedback or anything like that, but you can draw on the fact that you have a lot of life experience. You're not 23 and you've already worked in the, you know, in a different sector. Um, and you've, you, you know, you've returned a couple of times to this business, not just once. And so, you know, I can't speak for you, but my sense would be that just how you process stuff has to be different at your age than it would be, right? If you're 21, 22, when, um, you know, it's a lot harder. I mean, it's hard for any of us at any age, but it's really hard when you're trying to figure out who you are and then you get criticism like in waves. It is. And it doesn't matter who you are, or how strong you are. That type of criticism affects you mentally. It can't not, you know, and I'm starting to, you know, and I was actually not even sure I would say this, but I'm starting to work with a performance coach, Dr. Cassidy Preston in September. I actually met him at the Coaches Site Conference in Michigan and I heard him speak and he talked about confidence and he works with players and elite CEOs and executives and whatnot. And he had this talk about confidence and how that it's a variable because it's yo-yo. When someone tells you you're great, your confidence skyrockets. When someone says you suck, it goes away. I would have games where I would finish and go, wow, that was, that was a great game. I know I called a great game. I, I saw myself make progress. And then suddenly you open up your social media and there'd be comments and it would just all go away. So I think it affects us no matter what. And it's something that you have to work on. But I tell you, I'm very thankful that early in my career, there wasn't social media. When I first started, it didn't exist because I don't know how I would have survived perhaps that type of criticism my whole career where others have had to live with it. But now it's on waves. You know, I trend on Twitter a lot and it's not positive. Um, I'm also on the biggest platform I've ever been on in my career. One of the biggest platforms, if not the biggest platform in hockey right now. So you have to take it as it comes. Um, and I'm lucky that I'm, as you said, I'm, I'm older and, and I, I have an understanding still doesn't make it easy, but I have to, you know, you told me I could swear on this podcast if it goes, cause I swear like a sailor, but you know, I say to myself every time when I'm in the booth, right before we go, I take a breath and I go, remember who the fuck you are. Because as you said, I've come back many times. I have not had things given to me. I did not get this job because I'm a hexal. I did not get this job because I have two X chromosomes, no matter what anyone thinks. So remember who the fuck you are and let's go. And that's built in me. I don't know if it's because of how I was raised. I don't know if it's in my DNA because I'm a hextal, but that's what I have to say to myself and remind myself that to just to do what I do, you have to be an elite broadcaster. ESPN doesn't need to check a box. You're here for a reason. So believe you belong and go. And it's not always easy, but you have to fuel yourself because quite frankly, you have to be your biggest cheerleader. And that's what I've learned. And I'm also very lucky to have a network that supports me, executives that support me, uh, colleagues that support me. Um, you know, you yourself, Richard, have been supportive of me. And because I think you guys see what's going on and you know that I wasn't just handed this. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, your presentation uh, was so like sort of graceful and moving and thoughtful and I can sort of hear it with you. I, I really actually think you could do motivational coaching if you want. I'm not bullshitting you. I think actually if you ever decide to do that, maybe you'll do that down the road. Um, and, and one doesn't necessarily have to be like Usain Bolt confident to be a motivational coach. A lot of times you can just sort of possess the skills. 
um, to do that. Um, I, I will say I can't even imagine like the kind of stuff um, that you face. You know, there most of my social media mentions, you know, certainly when I was on Twitter, were generally good. But you know, if you got a couple that were negative, like you remembered that and got ticked off at that, which is just so bad for you. I do. I will tell you this, and I think you probably know this now that I've talked to you know, hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands would be the right uh, title of broadcasters and, and many on this podcast. And I find the best ones turn it off. They Joe Buck says he won't look at it before games. Um, more and more I find broadcasters won't even look at it uh, because they don't want it in their head. So it's just something for you to think about. As hard as it is to um, avoid the feedback of the crowd, which is very intoxicating, you want that because you want to know you know, you are, am I being heard? Like, how are people processing me? Um, the medium rewards the conflict and negativity, yeah, right? It doesn't necessarily reward. And, and, and I do have everything turned off, but you still know in your head that you're, if you went on, it's going, but there's also- of course, yeah, you're doing a national, you're doing a Stanley cup final game, maybe a Stanley yeah. cup playoff game. I should say people are, you know, that's and, and hundreds of thousands, if not millions point, though, of people. Too, watch. Is, there's the beauty of it and I, I spoke about this in my presentation is that I've had, you know, dads reach out to me with pictures of their little girls watching me and say, my girl pointed at the screen and said, it's girl. And women who have told me they've called their sons up to watch the game because it's a female voice. And they think that's important. Uh, colonels in the army, 70 years of age telling me it's the first time he's ever seen a woman call a game, but wow. You know, and those are the things to your point, we often focus on the negative, but the why is those reasons every day, because they're no matter, you know, I don't want this not to, to sound braggart, but I am doing something that hasn't been represented in the past. I am a first, I am change, whether people like it or not. I have to understand that that is part of what I'm doing. This is not just about me anymore. Yes, I want to be successful myself. I want to do well. I want to get better and improve and develop. But I understand that I'm also representing something more within our game and that it's important. And John Forslund told me that over a beer. He's the voice of the Seattle Kraken. And he just said, Leah, you can't quit because you're making an impact every time someone just sees you at the rink doing what you're doing, let alone hears you call a game. So before I get to like sort of what you're anticipating, what you hope for this year when you're doing ESPN, I want to ask you one last thing sort of about uh, hockey culture as it relates to broadcasting. Um, One of the things that's been a positive about hockey is we have seen a lot of women start to get some front office roles. Um, That's a really good thing, whether it's uh, Haley Wickenheiser or... um, you know, we just, you would know them more than me, but like we've seen, they're going. Yeah. Yeah. We're seeing assistant GMs now being hired. We've seen, uh, performance, uh, coaches hired. Barb Underhill is like a skating expert coach. Like, like if you go in the NHL, um, you'll find, um, women now in positions that they were never in before. So this is a positive. What I don't know. And I have to be honest, just as someone who's covered it, I haven't seen too many, one of the things about like if you're going to be a baseball broadcaster or um, or a football broadcaster is there are minor leagues or there are colleges where you can get training and play by play and then eventually you sort of get uh, enough experience or you get enough notice or you're at the right agent and you get hired by the, the pros. So there's a there's a system in hockey. I would assume there's um, uh, you know there are people who are calling the OHL or the CHL or juniors. I have never heard of women 
in these positions. So here's what that would tell me, and I hope that changes. But what it tells me is there's never been a feeder system for someone to create a Leah Hextall. Because where a lot of these baseball people or these football people have come from are the lower levels of broadcasting. They get three, four, six years of minor league experience. They call hundreds of games. And then let's say by the time they're the Blue Jays announcer, well, they have this like, you know, they have 700 games in their pocket. Like it's not intimidating to call professional baseball. You essentially had to parachute in and do this. Um, you, you, you had to become the represent, you had to become the representation subset of one. So that's my long preamble to ask you, like, are you aware? Is there, are there any of you or younger yous in minor league hockey right now? Or again, is that one place where the culture has not changed and it's still an all boys network in the broadcasting feeder system? Well, I think the start of that, Richard, is I go back to just my, my own life. I didn't grow up seeing a woman call play by play, not just in hockey, but in any sport. So when you don't see it, and that's why when people say, oh, what is, what is this representation thing? It, it really is, it, it means something. To see someone who looks like you, sounds like you, doing a job means in your head, oh, I can do that too. I saw women hosting Sports Center in Canada. I knew I could be a sports broadcaster. I didn't know I could be a play-by-play -play because I never saw it. I didn't even see it in my adult life until I started doing it. Um, you know, I'd see it here and there. But in the sport of hockey, there isn't really. Um, I have younger women who reach out to me who are volunteering in positions at colleges to call college games. You know, here at the University of Manitoba, the Bisons, there's female voices. Kenzie Lalonde was doing in the QMJHL a little bit. Now she's doing the Women's Worlds right now for TSN. So you're starting to see it, but there's not the feeder system that you speak of. But the big part of that, and again, I, I believe in ownership, is that you have to make the choice you want to do it as a female. And it's not easy. And you can't get away with not knowing the game. You can't get away with not knowing the sport and where the faceoff should be and why that's a penalty and, you know, A, B, and C. And I'm still learning because it's such a mass amount of knowledge. But you have to make the decision to do it. And it's a tremendous amount of work. But when you don't see anyone else doing it who looks or sounds like you, you don't even think in your head this is possible. So that's where the change needs to occur. And that's where I feel in my own little way, I perhaps am making an impact because now there is a generation, no matter of gender, who is seeing a woman call National Hockey League games on a weekly basis on a national platform. And hopefully that's the start. Year two of any job, particularly in sports broadcasting, always, um, I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's easier. And things that were once unfamiliar are now familiar. Even just as simple as like who your producer and director is, talking in the feedback to hear the cadence of, uh, of the producer or director so you sort of know where you're going, where you happen to be sitting in a particular arena. That's not unfamiliar anymore. So you go up there now and you – and you just got a sense of like of of the of the space around you. Not to mention the fact that you've seen the league, and so now you know whoever the players are in your league. Like they're now familiar. Like it's just it's it's a muscle memory. Um, what for you at ESPN? Um, I, I know you don't have your schedule yet, but roughly, um, will it be a mix of play by play? And bench reporting, like what, like in in broad strokes, what will you be doing this year when hockey comes around? 
I think really similar to what I was doing last year, I have a hybrid position. I do play by play. And then I do, as you just mentioned, I'm a ringside reporter as well. Throughout the regular season, it's more heavily favored towards the play by play as we saw last year, because that's where I need to get better. That like, that is it. I need to grow and develop. I cannot do that without consistent repetition. And last year I took steps, Richard, this year I have to take a leap. And that's not anybody telling me that that's within me. That's what I want to see happen. And you're right. It, it won't feel like the first day of school every time I'm doing a game, because for me, every rink, every producer, every analyst, it was brand new to me because I was working with all of these people for the first time. The American audience was really being introduced to me for the first time. And it was just, it was chaos almost every day because you were like, who's producing me? What am I doing? But now this year there will be, you know, I think more consistency within our teams. I'm looking forward to it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I consider uh, from what I what I know, it'll be very similar to last year. And I've got a lot of growth to do and improvement. And, you know, we're sitting here about a month out of the season and a month and a bit. And, uh, you know, I'm getting my database together for the 32 teams. And I've started to call games off screen and I'm working on some things because I'm not good enough to take a full off season off. So uh, I'll be doing the work right now and, and uh, looking forward to the season starting and the puck dropping in October. Do you uh, do you know if you'll have continuity in terms of your analyst will be the same or do you think it'll be rotating analysts for you? I think for me, uh, because, you know, let's just face it, um, you know, I'm, I'm not on the marquee games on ABC on the first team. And, and that's totally where the correct place that I shouldn't be because I'm not ready for it yet. Yet, I will say. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, I, I don't know if there'll be more consistency. I think last year they really wanted to have us with all the different pairings so that they could see who perhaps has more chemistry together and, and different, you know, aspects that way. Not just with your analysts, but with your producers, your directors, all of those things come into play. So, um, you know, when I was reporting in the playoffs, I was with Bob and Boosh and I loved being with those guys and we were a team and it was great to have that continuity because uh, you really get to learn and we have the same producing team and whatnot so it was great so I, I have a feeling just knowing ESPN the way they do business and how good they are that it only makes sense that we're going to start to see some pairings and some more consistency but uh, then again I don't call the shots there <laughs> one thing that I did note uh, when Emily was on the podcast was that when it came to her role as a uh, ringside reporter she found that coaches organizations players were really uh, good with her in terms of access like the and I think she, if, if, I, if I'm misremembering this, I apologize, but I think she had really sort of said, like, the players, particularly uh, the younger ones, like, they've sort of, you know, just like they've grown up with women in career roles, and they've grown up with women, um, trust me when I say hockey culture has a long way to go. Man, both of us live in Canada. We've seen the garbage with Hockey Canada, so I'm not naive here. But, but Emily did say that she, like, found that like she felt it as a welcoming environment particularly when she was dealing with organizations and I wonder when you were in that same position whether it's production meetings or whatever how did you feel about it I, I've always found hockey to be quite welcoming uh, to myself I've never felt that being a female when it comes to dealings with the teams has been a detriment to me in any way shape or form and I'm talking about even when I started with the Brown and Wheat Kings in the Western Hockey League back in 2003 in my first job I've always felt respected which I think doesn't get spoke about enough that being said um, it was different this year Richard because it, I was doing a role that hadn't been done before and there were many times where I would, you know, as the national rights holder, we get an offside conversation with coaches 
And it's amazing because we get like great insight from them. And when I would walk in, you know, obviously my analysts usually had a relationship. It's again with that boys kind of thing that I'm never going to come in and be that guy because I didn't play for you. I'm not part of the hockey brethren. That's okay. But I found sometimes coaches, when I would ask them a question, wouldn't look at me when they answered me. Because I think they felt like, oh, I can't stare at her. Um, I have when coaches would swear, they turned to me and go, oh, sorry, because I'm female, even though I swear like a sailor, as I said. So there still is that need of working with women on a day-to-day basis and learning how to make sure that there's no isolation of us in those even terms. And nobody was doing that with ill intent. And I know that. Um, but there are still things to be learned when it comes to women being around in the more in-depth hockey positions. And that's something that we have to work on within the culture. But at the same time, I mean, Jim Nill taking the time in Dallas on my second game to make sure that he came down and said hello to me and talked to me about my job. I mentioned Daryl Sutter. I was going to call game five Stanley Cup playoffs and we hadn't met in person before. He was the coach when my cousin was the AGM in LA when they won the cup. I've worked with his brother, Rich Brent, his brother used to coach the Red Deer Rebels when I worked in Brandon and covered junior. So I know the Sutter family and him taking the moment and I'll never forget this, Richard. I walked into the room and that offside conversation, there was seven other men in there and he beelined to me, shook my hand, wanted to know who's your dad, how do you fit into your family, talked to me about my job for a bit, asked how the game the night before went. He knew what I was going through, Um, you know, and that, that I don't feel that I need that kind of attention every time, but that made me feel like I was one of the boys in that kind of way. And I'll never forget Mr. Sutter for doing that. And, you know, as he left the room, he stuck his head back in and said, Leah, have fun tonight. And it's just, you know, it almost made me cry in the moment because, and when I talk about it, because that just, that just meant so much because you don't always feel like you belong, but he made a point of making me feel like I belonged. And for the rest of that series, and I was there with them for a long time, I walked in there and I think I had my head a little higher and my chest out a bit more because I felt like, yeah, you know what? He recognized me. He knows what I do and I'm here for it. So. Last one for me is I know that you in the past have called um, women's professional hockey and that's an important sport to you. Um, Is it your intention to try to navigate both doing the NHL and doing women's games? Because the one thing we are seeing um, is that, um, I mean, I don't. I I can't read the future. I would think that eventually both leagues will merge and we'll have one big league. But what's clear is like that sport should grow, and if that sport grows, inevitably there will be broadcasting opportunities within that sport. So where does your interest um, stand in that? Given you've done it before, these are the also obviously your sort of main career, which is calling the NHL. Uh, it's massive. Uh, you know, I I would love an opportunity to call more women's games and. Um, it's one thing that this year Sportsnet reached out for a couple of the PWHPA games that they were broadcasting. Unfortunately, with my schedule, I just couldn't make it happen. Um, but it's it's huge to me. You know, my goal when I started play by play, I didn't even have the NHL on my radar because at that time, even culturally, I don't I didn't feel like we were there yet. My goal when I started play by play was I feel it's time for a woman's voice to call the women's game in the Olympics. And I, I truly feel, and I thought if I could get myself there, that was my goal. It still is my goal. I would love to do that. Um, if there was a league and I could do both, 
I'd be right there in a heartbeat if they would have me. Um, I think it's really important that we have when you talk about a feeding system. That's another reason I think why we don't have more women doing certain roles and not just in broadcast, but more female GMs, coaches, assistant coaches. If there's a full time women league and it's fueled by women in these positions, that creates the feeder system to, you know, move on perhaps to different levels. If so, if people want to, if these women choose to, but having that league will create, I think, so much diversity in the NHL one day, if we can get there. And Richard, I, I am cheering for that every day. And I, I almost can't believe it hasn't happened yet, but you know, hopefully we'll get there at some point and hopefully I'll be a part of it. Leah Hextall is a play-by-play broadcaster for ESPN's NHL coverage. Uh, she joined ESPN in 2021. And as she said on this podcast, you'll see her uh, a little over a month uh, and change uh, back with that place. Uh, calling games as well as uh, being a rinkside reporter. Uh, Leah, thank you very much for uh, telling your uh, story with me today. And um, and like I told you, I really appreciated the presentation that you gave. I mean, you can tell authenticity and, and honesty and transparency pretty quickly in this world. And, uh, and that presentation was that. Um, thanks so much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you, Richard. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Leah Hextall for coming on and sharing her story with the listeners of this podcast. Um, gave you a real sense of what she went through in her first year as a full-time ESPN NHL broadcaster. There is a piece as well on The Athletic written by Sean Fitzgerald. He interviewed her around the same time I did, and so there's a, a print version of that if you would like to read um Sean's conversation with Leah. There are certainly a lot of previous podcasts we've done in the last couple weeks that you may find interesting. Did a, a media roundtable with Austin Carp and Chad Finn, Chad Finn of the Boston Globe, Austin Carp of Sports Business Journal, on first impressions of Amazon's NFL broadcast, Urban Meyer's return to broadcasting. Did a podcast with David Law, Matt Roberts, and Catherine Whitaker of the Tennis Podcast, a very, very popular podcast in tennis. Emergency podcast with Stuart Mandel on the Big Ten announcing its TV rights deals, $8 billion to Fox, CBS, NBC. Secrets of writing for WWE, conversation with Brian Gerwertz. What happens next with Brittany Griner, conversation with Dr. Danny Gilbert, who is a hostage policy expert. Joe Buck on Vince Scully. Jimmy Pitaro not too long ago, chairman of ESPN on That Place's Future. If you like these podcasts, please leave us a five-star review and a nice note. That's how this podcast continues. And thank you for uh, for all your support in the comments section. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work. Thanks to everybody at Cadence 13 for their support. And thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.